Thursday night back. Let's do this. <laughs> well, I'm suddenly feeling a little bit warmed up, I guess. <laughs> and uh, what else is there to do except say... Welcome to Super Duper Stitious. The comedy pod... I wish you could see the face White made. The comedy podcast about the science behind the spooky and the strange. I'm Jake. And I'm Wyatt. And we are both biologists and friends. And uh, we're back again in this year of our Lord 2023. We've joked a lot in the last... I think in the entirety of last year about saying we're back at the beginning of every episode. But if ever there were time to say it, it's this time. <laughs> we actually are back this yes. time. <laughs> and super excited to make the show again the show where we you know examine uh spooky strange mysterious occurrences or phenomena try and analyze them with science try and understand more about what's going on when we can or just talk about strange things or talk about science things you never know what you're gonna get some combination of those things yep <laughs> we haven't done an episode since halloween why and i haven't been on speaking terms since october other than to you know check in on each other's lives and share <laughs> funny videos and stuff um <laughs> you know <laughs> so it's Typical. nice it's nice to break the uh break the ice again by recording an episode of a podcast any other news um in the interim you got you want to share <laughs> my goodness i don't know there's potentially humongous news to share but I'm probably save sure that for should, it's impending news. You can save it for when it, news. when it is news. A massive release, you might say. <laughs> An upcoming LP, as it were. <laughs> Why well, it has to um, poop so bad, guys. <laughs> anyway, so we are back for 2023. We're very excited to be back. We're hoping to be back on a somewhat regular basis. Most likely that's going to look like a bi-weekly format for most of the year. But as much as possible, we want that to be an ongoing regular bi-weekly situation. In that time, some cool stuff to look forward to. We're going to have a full month of March Madness this year. We've done March Madness in the past. We we all know what the machine is, right? How it does its thing. We're going to be using that in a big way, and you can actually participate with us as we go through a month-long tournament of cults. And if this is your first time listening, uh, that's a thing that happens. you have a lot of work to do. <laughs> 171 um, episodes. Get started. So do that. But yeah, a lot of fun stuff coming up. Thanks entirely to Jake. Fun guests hopefully will be lined up. Uh, some of the people listening might be those guests. We'll just see. Lots <laughs> of just general goofing. And you can get cursed by us for science. Another thing you can look forward to. We'll talk about that more as time goes <laughs> on. Um, but sure that- you mean to say another thing you can look forward to? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't inflect the question mark enough. But yeah, hopefully we'll be in your ear balls, uh, your ear holes Ugh. for most, you know, like either of them. Um, for most of the year, and it's going to be great. Wyatt is very determined to keep making his life busier, and I'm going to bully him into making this work. It's oh going to be Lord. good. You know what's busier than a PhD? <laughs> a startup. <laughs> and you know what's busier than a startup? Something else we'll talk about later. <laughs> Taking a real honk poop. <laughs> but let's get to uh, this week's premise. Let's do an episode of the show about uh, doing the listeners things. listeners will do the math. Um, sure. Um, let's do the show first okay one question yes how do we do the show again so we each take turns talking about the topics that we chose for that episode one of us goes first the other goes second and we'll share the thing the other one will react to the thing and your name's jake that's right (laughs) okay i'm ready uh yeah this week's premise is uh myths about our immune systems and things adjacent to that just it's immune weirdness that's kind of the general prompt i gave you mostly it's like hey i want to talk about this one specific thing can you do a thing that's related to that to facilitate my bullshit and you agreed to i did i did agree this is episode 172 it's an even number episode why who goes first uh you that's right awesome <laughs> great <laughs> so without any further delay we're gonna get straight into some serious science in mind actually i was looking through it last night i think i forgot to put any comedy in mind so let's see if we can make it funny and fun i'm ready but before we cover anything in too much detail what even is an immune system anyway oh boy that's it's where i'm digging in first so human bodies are very interesting we've got a whole pile of different parts all the different things to make us be alive uh luckily it gets a little simpler when we break it down into different body systems that perform their own specific functions. So you got your musculoskeletal system, which gives you structure and the ability to move. 
uh, your digestive system for eating and pooping, how you get energy for being alive, which is pretty important, your cardiovascular mm. system for taking in oxygen and getting it to all your cells, not to mention mm. getting all that food energy from digestion to your cells as well. Your endocrine mm-hmm. system, which is hormone glands for your body bits to communicate. Nervous system, urinary system, reproductive system. There's a bunch. That's my point. Lots of systems. There's a bunch of systems. They all have highly specialized roles on their own that when combined make a fully functioning you. Hmm. The immune system is kind of like a subroutine of the organ system known as the lymphatic system. Uh, same system a lot. Here's uh, So here we're, we're talking about lymph. I wasn't going to say anything. <laughs> yeah. So we're going to start talking about lymph and lymph accessories. Oh, boy. Uh, kind of similar to plasma, the liquid part of blood. Lymph is a fluid that's almost entirely water, 96%. It's one of the accessories. Uh, never mind. 96% water compared to plasma's 95% water. A biscuit? Blood also contains red blood cells and continuously pumped through the circulatory system, while lymph more so comes from the fluid that just hangs out between cells, just in the body in general. So cells are what make up all of our bodily tissues, and blood brings oxygen and nutrients to those cells, but there are a lot of cells in our bodies, and we can't have individual blood vessels leading to and from every single one of them. Thus, there is some general no man's land between the cells. It's full of fluid that's genetically called the interstitial fluid. So nutrients and oxygen are able to diffuse out of blood vessels and into the interstitial fluid and then find their way into body cells. Damn. Body cells similarly release waste into this fluid, which largely finds its way back into blood vessels again to be carried away and dealt with. But some of the other stuff floating in the interstitial fluid still needs a way out, so it moves through lymphatic vessels. This interstitial fluid gets pumped along these vessels, past lymph glands that secrete immune cells and stuff more on those in a bit and only really at this point is the fluid called lymph once it's like got more of the characteristics in it that make it part of that system Uh, in certain areas of the body it goes through larger clumps of lymphatic tissue called lymph nodes where some bad Mm. stuff gets filtered out before eventually being returned to the bloodstream so very long story short, lymph is the middleman between tissues and blood, and the lymphatic system is what handles the exchange, plus the very important task of immune response shit. Mm-hmm. Also, as a quick aside, in bugs and stuff, they have a multi-purpose fluid in their bodies called, Wyatt? I forget. Hemolymph. Ah, uh, yes. Yes, very aptly named. Is it blood? Is it lymph? Yup. It's yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> kind of both those things. Uh, so now to actually get into the immune system component... How'd that work? Unlike blood, lymph isn't really focused on the transport of red blood cells, but it does contain leukocytes or white blood cells. Mm. More specifically, it includes the subset of white blood cells called, wouldn't you know it, lymphocytes. Uh, White blood cells in general are really good at attacking bad stuff, and lymphocytes include some maybe familiar players, T cells and B cells. Mm. You might hear Mm. about those a bit when you talk about immune system stuff. Uh, plus natural killer cells, which are among the more metal of our cell types, at least in terms of name. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have seek and destroy cells, killing intruders. We got areas that filter out bad stuff. Sounds more or less like how most folks probably picture the immune system, yes? I believe so. Yeah. Quick breakdown of all the types of white blood cells shows us ones that specialize in targeting bacteria and fungi, others that focus on larger parasites, uh, some white blood cells that are involved in allergic responses, and the lymphocytes I mentioned before are where some of the especially cool immune responses happen. So I know I'm getting a lot in the weeds on pretty detailed aspects of bodily function and stuff, but I promise it's for a reason. And as a compromise, I will try to simplify the rest of the stuff a bit. Like I could get into how the T cells and B cells work very specifically. That's not <laughs> You're not going to wave fun. that gun around too much, though, are you? <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm try to simplify the rest. The, uh, the main You're like, you wouldn't want this to go off anymore, would you? <laughs> The main takeaway I want everyone to get here is what our immune system actually is made up of. We'll circle back to that later. Tiny robots and nanobots. (laughs) Exactly. That's the takeaway I want everyone to think that. It's made out of um, that microchip from Bill Gates. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So we have all these fancy white blood cells and the world has all these fancy microbes that want to get into our bodies and do Mm. stuff. Mm -hmm. Uh, We call any such intruder a pathogen. And when one gets in, a few different things can happen. So our body may produce more mucus in our nose and stuff to try and help flush away foreign particles. Uh, Inflammation may occur as the body attempts to increase blood flow to certain areas in order to get those nice white cells where they need to go. And the white blood cells themselves get to do some cool, cool stuff. Some of them automatically detect 
when a body cell doesn't look right. Hmm. So this helps with both pathogen infected cells saying, oh, this cell is kind of weird. Uh, I got to get rid of it. It also mm-hmm. helps with thing, detecting things like uh, potential tumor cells. Mm. So the white blood cells are like, oh, this is, this is weird. We're going we're gonna to destroy this. Other types of white blood cells specialize in recognizing specific types of pathogens and attacking those, while others produce the means of recognizing new pathogens so that they may be attacked. Mm. Um, so they do this with special proteins called antibodies. They use them to basically tag a bad thing and say, hey, this is a bad thing. Kill it, please. Please remove, yeah. Yeah. So it's there's certain stuff that we kind of have an innate, like evolutionarily we've evolved like, oh, this when this kind of thing comes into our body, it's bad and our immune system automatically attacks other stuff can be kind of novel and so we have to learn to recognize it and then tag it with uh, oh hey actually we determined this is bad now we got to destroy this so that's that's the kind of thing truly wild yeah when an unfamiliar pathogen gets into our bodies it can infect a lot of cells before our immune system is able to work out the problem Uh, but eventually it'll achieve the necessary recognition markers for a proper eradication and then it stores that information for next time. That's the really cool part is that we're able to remember what the problem was, what the what the problem pathogen was and what it looks like. And then, yeah, as particles find their way through our lymph nodes, the higher concentration of lymphocytes there get the chance to scan for any familiar targets and react accordingly, uh, tagging pests and duplicating the matching immune cells as needed. So once they have already created, oh, here, now we know what we need to attack this particular thing with. Like if that same disease happens again, when it's working its way through the lymphatic system, mm. it'll be like, oh, hey, this is the thing. Let's make a bunch of this particular kind of white blood cell that we know attacks that thing, and then we'll get rid of it. So mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a pretty cool, cool way it works out. The past few years have brought up a lot of mentions of antibodies and immunity. That's more or less what adaptive immunity is. Once your body knows how to recognize a pathogen right at the get-go, it can mark it and attack it before that pathogen can make us sick, or at least before the disease can make much progress. Mm. It's pretty neat. Uh, anything you want to chime in before I move on at all, Mr. Dr. Shell? Uh, I guess I would add sometimes the body can... Maybe you're going to talk about autoimmune disorders. I was not going to. Just that your body's immune system is so effective, sometimes it even attacks itself. This is part of why you can get autoimmune disorders like one that I, yours truly, had called Yabare, where your immune system is basically attacking your nerve coverings, thinking they're a foreign body. And I believe it's also what explains issues with RH positivity or negativity with pregnancies, where if a mother is, I think, RH negative and she carries a baby who has RH positive blood, she'll carry that first baby fine, but there are treatments she'll have to undergo to basically suppress her immune response such that if she tries to carry another RH positive baby, her body will detect it and basically destroy the uh, fetus. Wow. If I'm not mistaken. But crazy little, you know, it's just such a powerful system. Yeah. It can even sometimes go a little haywire. When it does go wrong, it, it goes wrong dramatically. So yeah, with with that overwhelming amount of table setting out of the way, I'm now going to get to my actual point. Uh, so the pandemic became highly politicized right out of the gate, with both ends of the wicked polarized sides of the issue having very strong opinions about the other and making a lot of assertions about the other's intelligence as well. It was a very fun time for all in uh, <laughs> the U.S., at least in particular. There's an especially pronounced smugness on the part of the more left-leaning faction when ivermectin was touted as a treatment for COVID. Uh, we now have an actual drug for treating COVID called Paxlovid, uh, in addition to a variety of available vaccines for helping prevent it in the first place. Mm. But anyway, that same group of smug folks who knew so much better than their political opponents has for the past several months been embracing a comforting myth of their very own, and it's a dangerous one. Mm. The myth is something called immunity debt, and it's being spread far and wide by ostensibly reputable sources. Immunity debt? Yes. Have you heard anything about this at all? I have not. Good. That means it hasn't reached... Because it's it's in like a, it's in the New York Times. It's, I think it's been in the Atlantic at one point. It's it's wow. in some like major publications. I'll link to sources for all the stuff I talk about today. I will can not I, link. Can I guess what it is before you t- tell us all about it? Absolutely. Is it something like you're not being immune challenged enough, and so or regularly because of quarantine, and so now when anything comes along, it'll it'll rock your world. That is exactly the thought. So wow. Yeah. I. Uh, 
I mean, the, the name does definitely kind of spell it out. It's a simple enough idea, too. It, it sounds pretty b- easy to believe at face value. Yeah. But toward the end of 2022, for example, we saw a huge spike in flu and RSV and stuff like that. So especially in kids as the school year began, some people said, oh, we've been taking so many COVID precautions for the past few years. We haven't been exposing ourselves to as many germs as we otherwise would have. Now our immune systems are all weak and not ready to go back in the world like this. And we're all getting hammered by what's out there. Dumb. Or they might say, oh, our poor kids haven't been exposed to enough stuff thanks to all the lockdowns and masks. And now they haven't developed a proper mm-hmm. immune system. Mm-hmm. To all this, I say no. <laughs> I demanded that we make this entire episode just so I could say that specific thing is wrong. That's why nope, I'm going to nope, do nope, all nope, the dumb shit nope. I'm about to do in like 25 <laughs> minutes whenever Jake's done running his gams. <laughs> oh, no. Um, but no, again, it does sound pretty reasonable. Like it's, I mean, it's, it's kind of thing right. that it seems intuitive. The fact that just giving you the name of it, you're like, oh, it sounds like this kind of thing. And if you, if you imagine your immune system like a muscle that needs exercise... It follows pretty logically that a lack of exercise would result in a weaker system. Right. It's not a crazy thought. No. But, and I can't stress this enough, our immune system (laughs) is not a muscle. Uh And even if it were, it uh, nonetheless hasn't been experiencing a noticeable decrease in quote-unquote exercise these past Mm. few years. You're saying we're still yoked. Yes. Um, like yeah, that's why I spelled all out the details of just how, what build, like what what comprises our immune system. So you can say, right. okay, that that is nothing you'd exercise necessarily. Right. But more to that first point, um, you should think of your immune system not like a muscle, but like a do not serve list at a bar. <laughs> so you've got some photos behind the bar of past customers known for causing trouble. Uh, one of them comes in, you can compare, recognize them, and be like, ah, oh, no, you're out of here. And you can even extend the analogy even further to say that, uh, <laughs> like maybe when certain guilty parties do show up make a bunch of copies of the identifying photo and distribute them around the bar for patients <laughs> to be able to help keep an eye out too. Uh, and you don't always need this sea of pamphlets or whatever, but you have the master copy to start with should you need to make a bunch of duplicates later also, on. Also, you don't necessarily need to see new miscreants to know how to beat off the ones you've already seen come through. Yes. I like your bar analogy very much. Oh, thank you. I'm continuing it. I, I went deep in this one. I was about to ask if you could please continue it. <laughs> Over time, the band customer's appearance may change a bit. They might change their hair or like their facial hair. They might have some kind of different glasses. They a different might not spike l- protein on their face. <laughs> right. Might not look as much like their old photo, and it might be harder to catch them if they do sneak back in. So in instances like that, you might need to get a more up-to-date headshot to hang up for future reference. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in any case... Any of these situations, you don't have to be constantly staring at the person in order to maintain the ability to recognize them again. (laughs) So you don't have to constantly have exposure to infectious diseases in order to be capable of fighting them off. It's not about strength of muscle, but of cellular memory. (laughs) After the second half of the claim that our COVID precautions have prevented us from getting the necessary exposure to exercise our fictitious immune muscle, that also doesn't hold up to the evidence either. A lot of the explanation folks have been giving has been specifically in reference to how sick kids all got in the last few months of 2022. Here are some important ways that they're wrong. (laughs) First up, immunologists don't use the term immunity debt. Different experts you can find out there, I'll link to a couple of them, who refute the claims of folks who are proponents of this made-up theory, pointing out all the flaws in their arguments and the way folks who are choosing to support the idea are cherry-picking data in order to pull it off. Right. So... People who have seemingly empirical evidence supporting the idea of immunity debt are deliberately excluding very critical data that would otherwise refute their claims. They're right. just trying to, to choose what will tell the story they want to. Also link to an example of that, plus a very nice thread on the necessary logical trajectory of this line of thinking, as presented by Dr. Satoshi Akima, hmm. who quickly makes clear the nonsense baked into the core concept of immunity debt. So just kind of following that particular strand as far as it'll go. Like, oh, if you hmm. believe this, then that means this must be true, and then this must be true. Right. And then just, it, there you go. It just tears everything apart. It's like, oh, oh, that unravels fast. Right. Second thing about all this, uh, if COVID measures have been preventing folks, especially kids, from building the immune strength they need, we should see bigger spikes of RSV and flu from this past fall in places with the strictest lockdown measures and masking mm. rules and then mm-hmm. lower spikes in areas that let COVID rip. And therefore, according to immunity debt, we're giving more of that sweet, sweet immune exercise. Mm-hmm. In actual Not fact, ki- 
yeah, no, kids aren't getting more sick in places that had major COVID lockdowns and stuff and are still experiencing spikes in areas that never had any COVID preventative measures. Go figure. So if immunity debt were real, there should be clear differences between which states saw the worst spikes in the U.S., but that isn't the case. I'll link to a thing showing like, you know, kind of cases by state and stuff. Uh, the same should be true by country as well. For example, shouldn't Sweden, which famously refrained from any widespread COVID precautions, have the lowest instance of RSV in the world, probably? You think. I mean, think of all the exercise those immune systems were getting. <laughs> but no, they, they also saw a huge spike like everyone else did. And then folks there mm. also even started to try to blame immunity debt as well. Right. So the lockdowns that didn't happen and the masks that weren't actually, they weren't wearing, were somehow preventing kids from developing the right immunity. Interesting. Yep. There's just people who have an agenda, a story they want to tell, a narrative they want to try and fit to, and they will do whatever they got to do. Well, it's kind of, yeah, it boils down to like, it's the government's fault, doesn't it? Or it's like all of our precaution. But is there someone who kind of kicked this off in the first place? Like a... I couldn't find a clear origin of it. There are definitely specific doctors out there who are really happy to spell this out and stuff. I don't know what the motive is. There's a logic to it, but... There's a logic to it, but it does end up coming apart and uh, it's not great, but... um. As far as the motive behind it, it does seem like it's people really just want life to go back to quote unquote normal. We want to be like, right. oh, let's just we're tired of all this stuff. It's just it's fine now. Like actually, actually, you know, it's even it would be better even if we were getting sick more. Like that's that's what we need to do. Good old fashioned sick though. Yeah, <laughs> part of the logic um, flaw thing that I have from Doctor Akima is him saying like, oh, if it's better for us to keep getting sick, that's going to make us get less sick. Then we should always be getting sick so we don't get sick. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, it, yeah, it immediately nice. stops making sense fast. <laughs> it kind of says it all in a nutshell, doesn't it? It kind of does, yeah. Um, <laughs> and like, it would be easy to say as far as the kid part of things. Like, oh, if you raise a kid in a bubble, they'll have they they'll have very fucked up immune systems. And like that, that luckily does lead us to my next point, which is that kids still developing a brand new immune system are demonstrating that earlier exposure versus later exposure is telling the opposite story of what immunity debt proponents claim huh so uh, again i'll link to stuff that spells this out a little bit better um and then also first off i want to say that raising a kid in a bubble hypothetically is all well and good if you ignore vaccines like that concept of like mm. oh that's going to make them not be able to ha- develop an immune system but if you know you think about oh vaccines are a thing you can they can still get immune systems that develop without actually having to right. get sick and stuff uh, i recommend right. checking out episode 107 for some major vaccine myth busting from us oh yeah uh, but for now i just want to remind folks that kids don't need to catch all of the world's diseases in early childhood in order to become immune to things just polio and uh <laughs> rubella <laughs> yes maybe mumps if you can yeah yeah if you can squeeze it in there diphtheria we do actually get some temporary antibodies from our mothers when we're born it's pretty cool those last for a short while after we're born pretty nifty thing that our our bodies That's can cool. do um, but after that, vaccination is the safest way to protect kids from major diseases. It's a way of giving a, an inert version of the of the disease to them so their body can learn to recognize it without getting sick and right. then kill it when it comes in next time. So you can get your natural immune system to do its job without actually having to get sick. Right. Like back, I don't know if it was the case when you were growing up, but when I was growing up a couple of years later, uh, <laughs> at least in the part of Maine where I was, it was still kind of like common belief that, oh, if, you know, a kid gets chicken pox, that's good. They'll get it out of the way. Great. Like, in fact, maybe you should have like a range of play dates so everyone can get it and just get it right. out of the way. I think that was kind of the logic wherever I was too. Yeah. And it, it seemed to make sense because like, yeah, if you get it later on in life, it is definitely more severe, but you can also get a vaccine and never get it because if you do huh. get chicken pox, that virus will then just hang out in your nervous system for the rest of your life. It may never re-emerge, but if you're like me, and uh, it can be like if a, a kind of your body goes through some kind of weirdly traumatic thing. Like for for me, I think it was my growth spurt between seventh and eighth grade. Mm. I got shingles. Whoa. <laughs> it sucked so hard. That might be the most pain I've ever experienced like oh, continuously. God. It was really, really awful. And uh, that's because I had chicken pox as a kid. And so the, that virus is just there and it's not going to go away because I had the actual disease. Whereas if you have some kind of big uh, thing coming up later this spring, for example, there's stuff you could do about that thing so that that thing doesn't have to ever deal with this stuff. Hypothetically. My long poop. Yeah, the, the poop. Um, anyway, vaccines are good. But so for the last point about all this stuff, uh, we're not only seeing data that contradict what an immunity debt model would suggest but we're even seeing grim correlations between having COVID and later getting much sicker from things that we mm. should be better equipped to handle. So it's like, oh, you know, people, we've been hiding from disease. And now we're more sick. Like, actually, no, we've, it seems like 
the full inverse of that is true. People who have been exposed to COVID are getting sicker than if they hadn't mm. been exposed to it. Mm. So we have like record numbers of children dying from strep throat. That's not a great sign. Um, wow. Cases like these, as well as in areas of particularly bad RSV spikes, COVID spikes frequently happened a little while beforehand. So you can see graphs like, oh, here's a big COVID spike. And later on, you saw the big RSV mm. and flu spike. And it does seem like there are certain cases where the higher the COVID spike, the higher the RSV spike would be. Mm. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it uh, it's not great. It does seem like not only did exposure to these diseases not strengthen immune systems, may have made things worse. Mm. So I'm saying all this stuff. The whole reason I, I brought up this segment in the first place is because the pandemic didn't magically end this past year. Like when, you know, certain politicians decided <laughs> to say, like announced that it did. Mm-hmm. Thanks. Thanks for that, Biden. Mm-hmm. And now we're in kind of rough shape to this day. And then publications, like I said, the, the New York Times, Washington Post, CNN, all have been confidently trotting out this pseudoscience. That's a big problem. Right. So there's a lot of vulnerable people who are going to get very sick and die if we decide we don't want to take COVID seriously anymore. And, uh, you know, XBB15, the Kraken, um, mm-hmm. that's, that's spreading pretty fast. And, yeah, evidence is not showing it to be any more dangerous than previous variants, but it's transmissible as hell. That's going to be a problem. Mm-hmm. Even if you aren't worried that you'll get sick, you could very well make someone else sick who won't be as lucky. Or if you aren't worried that you'll get that sick, like, oh, I had COVID once before. It wasn't too bad. Like, you know, if I get it again, it probably won't be that bad. It's a real, real crapshoot every time you get right. COVID. Roll the like, dice. What it's going to actually, how it's going to be. I've heard people who had it like two or three times and it's never the same twice. And like sometimes oh the last time is the worst time. Like it's just, it's not great. And even then, even the mildest COVID cases do significantly increase your chances of long COVID, which can be life-changingly debilitating. Oh boy. Like, that's just not a gamble I want to make. Think, right. oh, okay, I had COVID last spring. It worked out okay. I still, I feel fine now. I seem to have no lingering symptoms. But if I get it again, the odds of that actually happening this time are a lot higher. Not right. great. Right. And there's one more twist. Uh, if anyone really does find that their immune system isn't as strong as it used to be before the pandemic began, it could actually be because of COVID. Hmm. So there's increasing evidence showing that this particular virus, while it's in our bodies, has the means to trash a lot of our existing immune system. Oh, God. The, the full extent of this effect is still being studied, so it's not yet known if COVID is able to straight up destroy our existing T cells. Right. I.e. tearing up the photos behind the bar before leaving. But the lasting reduction in the overall immune ability is widely documented, and it's it's not great. So not mm. it's not. Yeah, even if it doesn't turn out that they can destroy T cells, like that um, COVID infections can't destroy T cells, the still like the lasting effect on what your immune system is able to do still is not good, and uh, better not to like you know test that and see how it goes. Not to mention the fact that the longer we let COVID circulate and keep jumping around, it's going to keep mutating and keep turning into new weird variants that'll have new abilities that's the problem with with communicable diseases like that oh god so the solution isn't as immunity debt folks would claim to wander around the earth breathing all the sickly air we can Mm -hmm. um but it's the opposite it's taking steps not to get sick and not to get others sick and then we'll be all we'll all be better off Mm. and like yeah it, it it sucks to be in year three of this like actually going into year four i guess yeah right and like i'm super sick of wearing a kn95 all day at work especially like i just had my glasses adjusted recently like new lenses put in and i adjusted the like the um frames parts of mm-hmm. it in my face better but now they don't want to sit on a kn95 mask very conveniently like they oh, want to fall off it's just it sucks i don't like it but doesn't mean we can just pretend all this isn't happening we gotta it would be nice to believe like it's it's over but it's it's still happening and we're not going to get through it by ignoring it mm-hmm. so that is my soapbox issue for today uh yeah that's all i got well thank you very much jake uh good reminder and a very good heads up to anyone if you're thinking that you just need to get sicker to not get as sick that is <laughs> right hilarious and yeah i would not heard that analogy before it fits so well with my understanding of how the immune system works but i really like it it's a fun illustration oh i thank um, you I'm, I'm sure someone else has said it better than that but like i don't know but hey did they say it in as many words or as quickly probably not <laughs> did they slur as much of their speech probably not should we talk about beer well should we talk about some beer let's talk before i go into my segment we'd be just uh ding dongs if we didn't take this chance to uh, mention a groovy little brewery 
I think we all know the one in Western Massachusetts, which I'm sure we can all do together. <laughs> Incorporates big tank smoke monster amplifier acoustics, botany, moisture, and yeast. And time to make a particular brand of fermented refreshment that we all have chosen to describe using a singular word. And that word is... Jake, can you say it with me? Beer. Beer. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> <sighs> yes, we are at last again talking about Four Phantoms. Here are some forthcoming Four Phantoms things for January, and I have to find them. Well, they got, some, they got some new beers out. We can want to talk about the new beers. They got uh, Golden Axe, an Italian Let's do that Pilsner. instead, yeah. Here, Jake, you talk about okay. one of them. They've got Golden uh, Axe. Golden Axe. It's an Italian Pilsner. It's got a crisp, citrusy. Oh, that's a crisp, citrusy Italian Pilsner. It's going to be brewed and dry hopped <laughs> with uh, Hollertau Blanc and Hercules, which I'm guessing Hercules. are hops. And then there's also a Tormentor, which is a black birch Ooh. Doppelbach, which I really want to try. I want to try that so badly. It's got the probably the most metal label they've had yet, perhaps. I don't know. There's been a lot of metal labels. This is a very metal label. That label is dope. We're looking <laughs> at a straight up, I mean, there's no other way to say it, bad boy. <laughs> looking a little bit like the Phantom of the Chicago. A little bit. Definitely flesh-like. I really want to try this. Love the art. Desire the flavors. Rich German malt and local black birch. Uh, it's got a strong full-bodied dark. It's a full, strong full-bodied full bodied dark lager. It features oh, flavors and aromas baby. of caramel, toffee, and chocolate. That is like right in my house. So get you some if you're in the area. I would say also there's some upcoming events. If you hear this in time, <laughs> see how fast I can edit. They have a game night coming up, Friday Night Dice, January 27th. The Fox on the Hill Game Club will host their game club meetup from 6.30 to 9 p.m., if that means anything to anyone out there. Vegan Pizza Land will Ooh. be there on Sunday, February 5th from 1 to 5 um, as part of the Greenfield Winter Carnival of Events. They're also hosting mm. their Dark Hearts, H-E, Arts market <laughs> that day uh, with a sweet lineup of new and returning vendors. Everyone loves a good art market. That is, again, February 5th from 1 p.m. to 5 p.m., not a.m. And, uh, yeah, good stuff. I really want to get that new beer. And we love you for Phantoms. We love you very much. Everyone go there. Do the thing. So now, talking about all this immunity we uh, we agreed ahead of time. <laughs> I'm contractually bound to talk about vitamin C and why we all get so excited for it. I think we all think of it as the ultimate immune booster. Mm -hmm. We've got our emergency mm -hmm. orange juice, those chalky nature-made tablets. It's the uh, first thing a lot of folks tend to reach for when they're feeling ill. So would everyone be surprised to learn that getting a heavy dose of vitamin C does exactly nothing to help fight the common cold? <laughs> Or really anything else challenging your immune system? Pause for gasps. I mean... <laughs> so, why are we hooked on C? Says Heather Mangieri, a nutritionist working with the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics. There's a lot of misinformation out there on vitamin C because it's safe. <laughs> yeah, basically, regardless as to whether it's helping us, it's not really hurting us. Right. So there hasn't been much effort to police this often citrusy supplement. Uh, but for the rest, we will have to go back in time and look back to the famous but forgotten by time scientist Linus Pauling, mm -hmm. who came to believe that vitamin C could be a cure-all for numerous ailments. And he believed it so hard that now I'm talking about it. <laughs> so to hear Pauling's story... We first have to travel back to the time of scurvy. Uh, I'm sure we've all heard of scurvy. <laughs> we've all had scurvy at some point in our lives. We've all had scurvy at some point. <laughs> I don't need to describe this to anyone. Um, but, you know, scurvy nowadays is a, is a gag line for pirate media. Mm -hmm. um, you scurvy dog. Basically, scurvy is just a vitamin C deficiency. So bad that... It kills you. And in fact, it was so bad at the time between 1500 and 1800 
that it killed an astonishing two million sailors. Jeez. Two million sailors died from to. scurvy. Yeah. <laughs> the scurvy pandemic. Um, yeah. Back in the day, nautical travel took forever. And sailors on these long voyages were short on fruits and veggies. And this left them deeply vitamin C deficient, causing swollen extremities, swollen extremities, painfully inflamed gums, and of course, death. So eventually, in 1747, a scientist called James Lind conducted a trial. Some think it's the first controlled medical trial. Hmm. treating sailors with scurvy in different ways and he found at the time that the only effective treatment was oranges and lemons Hmm. so although they had a cure for scurvy they didn't exactly know what was happening almost 200 years later in 1928 albert zent georgi a scientist working at the university of siged in hungary isolated a substance found in the adrenal glands and named it hexuronic acid because why not right Sure. Uh, shortly thereafter, in 1931, two American biochemists, uh, J.L. Sverbley and Charles Glenn King, found that the crystalline vitamin C in lemon juice matched the properties of hexuronic acid. And these two discoveries uh, really intrigued our forgotten boy, Linus Pauling, and he started to dig deeper. So before we get into how Linus Pauling drummed up a little too much hype for vitamin C. Mm-hmm. I think it's really important to recall that he was no quack. Um, as any Wikipedia page will tell you. Dude has I mean, him literally chops. every single Wikipedia page. <laughs> <laughs> Pauling was not only a chemist, but a prolific author, peace activist, and educator. And he published more than 1,200 papers and books, of which most dealt with scientific topics. That is an insane amount of productivity. That is ridiculous. He is also the only person ever to be awarded two, count them two, unshared Nobel Prizes. Damn. One Nobel Prize in chemistry in 1954, and then a Nobel Peace Prize, motherfucker, in 1962. So to make a long story short, the man was a very real, legitimate, bona fide scientist, thinker, and humanist he cared about people and he knew how to learn and apply what he had learned to the furtherance of (laughs) society's you know understanding of the world and then Um, he got into vitamin c (laughs) and i mean this also in the most delicate way possible the man fucked (laughs) linus pauling had no fewer than four whole entire children Uh, oh, and he also weirdly thought that carriers of defective genes should be given a compulsory mark somewhere on their body to prevent perpetuation or at least the expression of genetic disorders. Oh, so, no. You know. Oh, God. Uh, but anyway. Yeah, you know, I just this morning was looking up a thing. I think I was actually, yeah, Jordan had messaged me a thing about a uh, goblin shark. I was looking up the guy, the name of the guy who had discovered him. Or discover, what? Discovered, Did you say goblin shark? Goblin shark. Yeah, this is relevant, I promise. Goblin shark's the ones that got the big nose, right? <laughs> yes. And then the weird, like, jaw that kind of sticks yeah. out when they chomp. Does the thing. Um, mm-hmm. And I was, uh, um, I was going to point out, like, oh, you know, that's one of the, the few genera out there that has a very clearly not just Greek or Latin name. It's got a Japanese name. It's named after a Japanese zoologist, but it was actually discovered by an American um, oh biologist. And that American was a eugenicist because, of ah, course, yes. he was. A goblin in his own right. That's right. Um, eugenics. Uh, so, when did Dr. Pauling become the Dr. Bronner of vitamin C? <laughs> well, in 1941, at what now feels like the young age of 40, <laughs> Pauling <laughs> was diagnosed with Bright's disease, which affects the renal system, and... Uh, I couldn't exactly pin down what Bright's disease is. I don't think they call renal issues of this kind Bright's disease anymore, but it was kind of a catch-all for Hmm. your kidneys all fucked up. But following the recommendations of Thomas Addis, who actively recruited Linus's wife, Ava, to act as a nutritionist, cook, and eventually deputy kind of doctor... Pauling did come to believe that he was able to control his symptoms with Addis's then unusual low-protein, salt-free diet Mm. and vitamin supplements. 
And this intensely personal experience convinced Pauling that vitamin supplements carried incredible power when it came to treating disease. Meanwhile, his body turned to mush from all the lack of protein. <laughs> yes, yeah. <laughs> they call it carrot starvation. <laughs> yeah, I was just going to say it. <laughs> like a rat, like a rabbit diet. Yes, exactly. A fate worse than rabbit starvation. <laughs> um, another formative moment came in 1965 when Pauling read Niacin Therapy in Psychiatry by Abram Hoffer. That's when he, he was working his way up to vitamin C, because that, that's one of the B vitamins, so he hadn't quite gotten all the way through <laughs> the alphabet yet. <laughs> Abram Hoffer was a huge <laughs> proponent of the popular but controversial mega vitamin therapy approach. So using very large doses of vitamins to attempt to prevent or treat disease. Um, as quacky, like very large multivitamins. Just like yeah, a- exactly. <laughs> exactly. You'd have to have them surgically implanted <laughs> in the stomach for digestion. Um, as, as bonkers as this has subsequently been shown, the core logic is sound. Again, kind of like our uh, immunity debt. In this case, if a little bit of a vitamin does no harm and is good for me, taking more of it should only have greater positive effect. Oh, boy. Um, this is wrong. <laughs> the better logic is perhaps never have too much of anything. Mm-hmm. But again, you can see how with vitamin technology as a brand new thing, perhaps we could equate it to AI software. <laughs> Chat GPT is answering my questions really well. Let's make it even smarter and more capable of doing this kind of thing. <laughs> oh, yes, but still, at the time, the idea of megavitamin therapy stuck, uh, stuck, struck a chord for Pauling, and he became convinced that vitamins might have the potential to act as cure-alls. And luckily, the vitamins probably were never like stealing any business from artists either. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Or, you know, undermining the entire educational system. <laughs> A year later, in 1966, biochemist Irwin Stone introduced Pauling to the concept of high-dose vitamin C. And after becoming convinced of its worth, Pauling took as much as three entire grams of vitamin C every day (laughs) to prevent colds. And to put that into perspective, the recommended daily amount of vitamin C is 75 milligrams for women and 90 milligrams for men. So this is a couple orders of magnitude away from where he needs to be. That's a... Indeed. Wow. The man must have just been all full of C. Dude, I've been trying this thing I call macro dosing. <laughs> my, Where you my, take all the vitamins every yeah. day. <laughs> uh, excited by his own perceived results, Pauling published Vitamin C and the Common Cold in 1970, just four years after Irwin jazzed up his world. And in this book, he argues that taking hella tons of vitamin C could cure or reduce symptoms for the common cold. And it's right about here that Pauling kind of lost his mind <laughs> and we as a society got sort of benevolently swindled. Pauling was not done. He then began a long clinical collaboration with the British cancer surgeon Ewan Cameron in 1971 on the use of intravenous and oral vitamin C as cancer therapy for terminal patients. Cameron and Pauling wrote many technical papers in a popular book, Cancer and Vitamin C, that discussed their observations. Pauling continued to make make vitamin C popular with the public and eventually published two studies of a group of 100 allegedly terminal cancer patients that claimed vitamin C increased survival by as much as four times compared to untreated patients. Mm. It's cringy stuff. But at the time, you know, blew people's fucking minds and made vitamin C like the wonder drug. A later reevaluation of Pauling's claims in 1982 found that the patient groups were not actually comparable, with the vitamin C-treated group being less sick on entry to the study than the comparison group. So, mm. great. Uh, Later clinical trials conducted by the Mayo Clinic, led by oncologist Dr. Edward T. Cregan, also concluded that high dose, a.k.a., you know, 10,000 milligrams of vitamin C, (laughs) (laughs) was no better than placebo at treating cancer. 
and that there was no benefit to high dose vitamin C. So, you know, the cancer argument fell apart and uh, nobody to this day holds holds vitamin C up as anything close to treating cancer anymore. But despite this, Pauling's claims that vitamin C could prevent colds or treat cancer kind of just kept on going. And he really doubled down on the vitamin C as cold preventative. And then he kind of trails off. <clears throat> yeah. So does vitamin C do anything for us beyond prevent scurvy? Well, it may potentially reduce your cold symptoms a tiny bit. Mm-hmm. A Cochrane review of nearly 30 studies looking at people with colds taking the normal daily dose of vitamin C, not 10 bajillion milligrams, <laughs> found that it reduced cold's length by 8%, which means if your cold lasts five days, you may have it shortened by about 10 hours. <laughs> Yeehaw. <laughs> Taking super high doses of vitamins, and I cannot stress this enough, is not a good thing. Mm -hmm. It leads to toxicity, typically no worse than stomach cramps, nausea, and diarrhea, but it is still no fun. So, you know, why, if we can usually get all the vitamin C we need from our food, do we buy all these extra vitamin C supplements or take emergency and yada yada? That plus isn't like best case scenario, even if you avoid like the tummy troubles and stuff from having too much of, of it. Uh, isn't the best case scenario that you just pee out whatever your body can absorb? Yeah. Often your body will just flush out what it can't use anyhow, which is often why when you take a multivitamin, your urine will become like luminous. <laughs> um, basically, it's good old fashioned business, baby. Mm-hmm. As with really any kind of curative consumable, there's a massive market for products like emergency and other vitamin C supplements. In 2012, which I guess is now 11 years ago somehow, Euromonitor International reported that the vitamin and supplement industry topped $23 billion in consumer spending. And, you know, these manufacturers are not liable to let the uh, story of vitamin C's purported benefits go. If you're in the U.S., go into a store that sells, like, you know, the grocery store or whatever that does sell uh, vitamin supplements and see how many of, like, the bottles of supplements have the phrase, this statement has not yet been uh, evaluated by the FDA <laughs> yeah. written on them. If anything ever has that on it, it is in your hands to determine for yourself how much it will help you, Yeah, which I say only with half of my tongue in my cheek because... The note I kind of want to end on here is whether they're physically doing anything to actually improve our health, many of us remain convinced that things will get better if we take vitamin supplements. And as we've discussed time and again on this show, the placebo effect is sometimes all the medicine we need. How do you like that? Uh, I it up uh. so hard. <laughs> but, you know, that is... That is where I shake out on it. I think, you know, there's no harm in taking vitamin C. Vitamin C may live on as uh, a hollow knight, a suit of armor with no one inside that uh, you can take. And if you feel better for taking it, keep taking it. But don't, you know, if you are diagnosed with something horrifying, don't take vitamin C for it. It's just going to make you feel kind of nice for a minute. And that's about it. Well, great. The story of vitamin C and Linus Pauling, the smartest man to ever go insane. <laughs> well, there are a bunch of them, I feel like. <laughs> the smartest. But, oh, <laughs> you're right, Wayne. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, that's uh, very informative. It's just funny because, like, yeah, I think probably all of us have gone most of our lives just believing, oh, yeah, vitamin C is really good for your immune system. Like, that's just the thing. It's like, no. Eh, yeah maybe not maybe and, not and like yeah if you like sometimes i remember like for a while taking different vitamin supplements when i was a kid like taking oh i'll have some of this and one of these and like if you if you do want to take vitamin supplements a multivitamin usually has everything you need in it just the one because mm-hmm. then if you that's the thing if you start taking additional like you have like a, a c supplement like another one on top like certain ones depending on the kind you take for example sometimes it's uh if it's like a water soluble form for the kind of vitamin that isn't actually water soluble, you'll just 
only pee that you'll absorb none of it. So like vitamin D, for example, should be fat soluble. So you can't actually, if it's, if it's not an oil tab, it's not going to work at all anyway. Right. But then in general, like if you're taking, yeah, the, the multivitamin is meant to have minimally 100% of your daily recommended amount <laughs> of each of the vitamins in it. So anything you take beyond that, most likely your body will just like be like, well, I don't have any place for this. So all the surplus just goes away. So it's, uh, yeah, it's, you are literally peeing away your money at that point. You really are. But if you're feeling good about it, then... But yeah, you're feeling good and you have the money to do so, then go for it. You know? I would say as well, and this is hopefully not news to anybody, but your body is much better at harvesting the nutrients it needs from good old-fashioned food than it is pulling it out of supplements just as jake was saying even in cases where they may be in the correct media for your body to absorb them you're better off just having a balanced diet and kind of listening to your body and your appetite because typically you'll be hungry for what you need and uh if you still want to pat it out with some stuff then go for it we're not doctors we're not making medical recommendations we are not medical professionals (laughs) No, we're but, both, this, but you should do this. We're largely bug professionals. Yeah, and even that is kind of questionable for me now. <laughs> I think if anything, we just like know stuff about evolution and... Uh, I don't know. I feel like we've forgotten everything we ever learned, probably. I am getting to a point now I have just forgotten everything about everything. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> as good a place as any for us to thank some of the patrons who help make this show possible. Oh, yes. Let's do it. I'm going to fire up the NCAA. Oh, yeah. Ah. There it the goes. Hum. Yep. Now we'll go ahead and plug these these cords slash tendrils into the backs of our skulls. Mm. Oh, my. It's been so long. Anyway, it's plugged in. Now we have... Uh, the tendril plugs itself in. Yeah. It gives us access to the dark ether. So this machine, it's a thing. The ah. pander function. The pander function is... Uh, the, the NCAA will learn more about that in March. The pander function is a part that we added yeah. on a few years ago where now it allows us to calculate the cryptid creature creepy crawly whatever it is each of our individual patreon patrons personally needs to be on the lookout for Mm -hmm. now we're going to focus together first on o and c o and c of west springfield my goodness of west springfield massachusetts i know this person very well i figured from the uh geography that would be the case owen Watch oh, out look out for, for Silvercat. Sli- Slivercat. Slivercat? Oh, yes. I was hoping for Silvercat. Yeah, no, this is... Uh, I actually may have once mentioned the Slivercat. It's not to be confused with the Splintercat. They are both I see. fearsome critters from the lumber woods. My goodness This is a gracious. different one. It's a large arboreal feline creature with adults weighing in at 300 pounds. Wow. Sporting tasseled ears and it possesses a, a horizontal rather than vertical slits in its red eyes. So it's kind of like... Something that I'm sure you would notice moments before it destroys your yes, life. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, but that's not its most distinguishing feature, though, right, Wyatt? No. Its most distinguishing feature, it's its tail, however. <laughs> uh, its tail, of course, is 11 feet long oh and as powerful as that of any boa constrictor which I can only understand is meaning that the boa constrictor's most powerful part of its body it is, is its tail. tail. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and also be on the lookout for the fact that its tail ends in a bony club-like growth, which is spiked on one side. <laughs> it's a certifiable real creature that you should be avoiding. This makes me happy. It's saying much like the thagomizers evolved by dinosaurs such as Stegosaurus. <laughs> and it makes me so happy because... The term thagomizer, I think it has kind of made it into the lexicon of paleontologists as the official name for that part of uh, Stegosaurus's tail. That's amazing. But that was invented by the far side. Really? Yeah. Wow. That's hilarious. Yeah, it's great. Greg Larson getting it out there. Indeed. Gary Larson. I used to call him Greg. His name is Gary, but his friends call him Greg. Yeah, I know him personally. (laughs) As with any 300-pound arboreal predatory cat with a thagomizer tail... A sliver cat will wait in the branches of a low-slung tree, whatever low-slung means, until something tempting wanders beneath. That could be you, Owen. He has been called the most tempting man alive. (laughs) Um, And despite it being a cat, which is a predator built for pouncing and using its claws and fangs, the sliver cat will knock its victim senseless with the rounded side of its (laughs) tail. 
That's not all I used to detail for. It also will thump its chest as beating it like a drum as part of a mating ritual, which, um, oh you know, my god, good thing. So, if you are out in the lumber woods, as I know you are prone to do, watch out for low slung trees. It's probably your best bet is to avoid the low slung trees, and uh, yes. you won't get beaten to death by a weird cat thing. Exactly. And thank you, of course, thank so, you much so much for supporting we, uh, us on Patreon. We truly appreciate it. Now we're going to focus in again on Austin, Austin K. K. Of, Springfield, of Springfield, not Massachusetts, Missouri. Missouri. Austin, you got to watch out for the Ravenmocker, Raven or Woman of the Woods, who's a shape-shifting Bigfoot-like creature of the Cherokee people of the Appalachian Mountains. Oh, my. Uh, got some abilities and hunting behaviors here. As legend states, this creature acts as a witch who watches over the people in the form of a raven. After a specific victim is chosen, usually an elderly member who is in a sickened or dying state, they are then eliminated. Oh my. But Ravenmocker takes to the sky in a fireball or other similar light show and dives upon its prey. Uh, the witch will complete the hunt by performing a ritual involving removing the victim's heart seemingly without any incisions or marks. The illustration suggests that there are substantial marks and incisions required yeah, for this Yeah, the entire process. head removed, uh, a lot of blood. Um, <laughs> so, you know, um, one way or the other. Be mindful. Before the Ravenmocker attacks, it will make its presence known by calling out the sound of a raven, uh, which is commonly mistaken by a crow's call. What? Mistaken as a crow's call. <laughs> a raven makes a more drawn-out croaking call than a crow's caw-caw. <laughs> Uh, just a little bit of uh, helpful advice there, I guess. Uh, the yeah. Ravenmocker was also featured in the Destination America show Mountain Monsters. <laughs> so we know it's real. Yes. Uh, which is a horrifying thing to realize. So if you see a raven, especially if it's a fireball first, but if you if you see a raven and it makes a raven sound, it's probably about to uh, fly at you and uh, As remove, a fireball. remove your heart. Without incisions, even though your head's going to get knocked off. Yes. But luckily, um, that probably won't happen until you're near the end of your life anyway, so this might just be the uh, epic way you get to, uh, you know, die at the end. Exactly. Um, but hopefully not. And thank you so much for your support. <laughs> thank you very much for your support on Patreon. Uh, anyone out there, if you too would like to have your patron creature situation thing uh, calculated by our machine here, all you gotta do is subscribe to our Patreon at any level, and you'll be entered into the algorithm to also have that done for you other stuff you get at any level of support starting at just five bucks is the lowest one you get access to our monthly outtakes of all the previous uh, month's episodes carefully curated into a, an edited down fun sort of uh, blooper reel access to all of our minisodes you get access to our community discord you get to join oh yeah up with all the fun friends who are all uh there also <laughs> since we still haven't hit 100 members on our patreon up until we hit our hundredth, you will get a super superstitious Belgian beer glass that I will send straight to you. If uh, we reach a hundred, then it'll be your patronversary gift. But uh, until we reach that, you mm. get it right away, or as fast as I can send it. That's all for five bucks. Above that, you can also get access to our our exclusive stickers and some uh, merch discounts, stuff like that. Neat things. Uh, so oh, it's yeah. all it's all worth checking out. We have a new sticker pack coming out soon. So. We Ooh, didn't I'm have a lot of stickers for last for year because we're doing all the glasses and stuff. We'll have a whole pack of stickers all at once to, to make up for lost time. Um, but yeah, it helps us make the show. We appreciate it. And uh, this thing's getting hot. We should unplug it. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's oh, much better. If you want to support the show for free, you can also just, you know, listening to it is helpful. It's nice to know you're out there listening. Thank you for doing that. You can rate like and review us, too, on your podcasting app that your podcast app podcatching app i guess you're not podcasting at us we're podcasting at you so there yeah apple podcast i think is the biggest one that helps us for the friggin the all of the the that's where the numbers mean the most i guess i don't know those metrics tell people you know or don't know to listen to our show that's neat too uh yeah. <laughs> just just <laughs> tell people about it anyway we're glad to be back we're excited to do more of this uh next time we're going to be talking about some mystery corpses wonder what oh, that yeah. could mean somebody is dead <laughs> yep until then bye it's good to be back baby bye goodbye that's his life life it ain't easy